0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sam Talks Technology, your weekly guide about all things tech and business with Sam Sethi.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sam Talks Technology. I'm joined today by Martin Steers. He has multiple hats on. One of his hats is he's the station manager at NLive, based out in Northampton. Another is his hats, he is the founder and chair of the Community Radio Awards and he's recently taken a new hat as the UK Community Radio Network has been launched. Now we'll talk about all of those things. We're also going to be talking about Martin's past and we've got some amazing subjects to talk about going forward. We're going to be talking about the role of what Community Radio will have in local now that Bauer and Global are aggregating everything together what does podcasting do with community radio now that podcasting seems to be growing and there's so much more we're going to talk about but first of all let's say hello and welcome martin how are you
0: i'm not bad thank you and thank you for having me
1: pleasure now let's start off with what you do today you're the nlive station radio manager what does that mean and who are they
0: Uh, So NLive Radio, it's the community radio station for Northampton. We're a broad station covering all the communities of Northampton, a broad audience, lots of different shows from specialist content, specialist music. And yes, it's my full-time job since September last year to run the station with all my great volunteers, bringing more volunteers in. And it's that lovely coalface. And I'm grateful of it, actually, because it's been many years since I've been sort of directly involved, uh, hands-on, with Ofcom licensed. Community radio as a manager, so it's great to be back involved, and I'm absolutely loving it, and and finding this really interesting, especially at the moment with working from home, because actually we're completely broadcasting from home. All of my volunteer presenters are all working from home. I've been into the studio once uh, in the last uh, three months, and everything else is, is is going from home. So from a technological point of view, it's fascinating to see how our station, but also the rest of the sector, has really embraced remote innovation in terms of running their stations and broadcasting that i think shows how great community radio is and how great community radio can respond to some of those challenges and a
1: lot of people locally where we are at marlow fm have said because they're now home they want to hear what's going on locally with community activities and projects and they can't find that through bbc local radio or national radio
0: Absolutely. Uh, Community radio in the current COVID uh, crisis, lockdown has really had an opportunity to shine and I think has taken that opportunity, even to the point that Ofcom relaxed or tweaked the short-term, what are called RSL rules for short-term dedicated FM licences to having a special category just for COVID. Uh, And I think there's three or four uh, stations that have been spun up in their local area on FM broadcasting just to accommodate local information, local what's on local how support groups have been set up and forming from food banks to prescription delivery services to befriending services and a lot of that has gone on across community radio and live we have our mid-morning show which would normally be lots of different topics and lots of different subjects nearly all of that has been dedicated to talking about how the community has responded and the beauty of community radio uh, is it's truly local in the sense that we talk about streets and neighborhoods and and the town whereas the BBC has its place but the BBC actually is more county or regional based so they're talking about whole towns and cities and whole parts of the counties and the areas that they go in and they can't necessarily always get to that that lower granular, almost a hyper-local level that community radio does offer, and across the board from Mike's different hats on, from individually within live, but also from speaking to other stations and station managers across the sector, we are seeing listenership and engagement increase. Averaging, from what I've heard, averaging 20-30% increase of online listenership. Because of course, it's it's hard to necessarily have that kind of responsive audience measurement with FM. We can very much see our online data and within live you've seen more people coming to our website more people coming to our social media more people listening to listen again and they're they're doing it because they want to know what's going on in their local area they want to know what shops are open they want to know what social distancing looks like now at this moment more than ever about how the high streets reopening how are we trying to return to some form of normality or, or what the new normal looks like and they can only really get that through their local community radio but it goes beyond that as well i think with social isolation with lockdown i think people have been turning to local radio more for that companionship for those voices that they hear from that dialogue that they can engage with through interacting with their station particularly presenters talking about from home, talking about, I, I, I think what's really interesting from a technological point of view, for years the industry has moved towards better quality studios, better quality microphones, making the whole thing sound better. And then we took a massive step back because it's right, what random piece of equipment can you get? Or you try buying a USB podcaster microphone on Amazon, the first two weeks of lockdown, honestly, you just couldn't get them. No, you couldn't. V- volunteers up and down the country, uh, commercial and BBC presenters up and down the country. You were buying these things. And I think the audio quality has dropped somewhat. But because people are saying, I'm broadcasting from my front room audiences are completely fine with that i mean i've not seen any complaints myself or any issues with that but more importantly i think it makes it feel much more authentic much more real and much more relatable if you are stuck at home because you're working from home or you're furloughed or you're looking after someone who's vulnerable or you are vulnerable and you just can't go out listening to your local radio station hearing your local presenter talk about them doing their initial one hour social walk that they could around the park that you can relate to that park it makes you feel so much more connected with other human beings in the same situation. And I think we cannot underestimate the value of that for people's mental health and social wellbeing. And, and that is only deliverable via local uh, radio, which is now through local community radio.
1: Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you was you talked about how end lives running from home for people listening. They'll want to know certainly community radio managers. what. Did you use this technology, ClearFeed, Zoom? How have you done it?
0: Uh, well, lots of little bits, actually. So we did the standard installing, making sure we'd got like TeamViewer and backups to TeamViewer working on every single PC server so I can access them remotely. We use Myriad as a piece of playout software. And we, so Myriad, the developers or, or broadcast radio as they are, I think did a great service to the sector because they offered up their online web-based platform uh, Myriad Anywhere, they offered that up for free right. uh, as because it was in a beta stage. They went, right, we're going to open up the beta to everyone. And at the moment they keep extending it. It's been extended a couple of times. I think it's extended until August now as a free thing because they're really trying to support the sector. Because I think hundreds of stations across the country are, well, and across the world, because they're, they're a worldwide platform, have been using the software. Uh, and so a lot of our presenters have been doing what's called voice tracking or VTing uh, using their software. You can do that, what I call VTing in the hour so you can literally be recording 5-10 minutes ahead or an hour ahead or a day or a day ahead so it's not 100% live but I don't think it necessarily matters to a certain extent as long as it's still authentic, still local still sort of engaging we are still doing some live, our breakfast presenter and a couple of our other shows are fully live and we're using ipdtl as our, our audio platform to get audio from presenter mics at their house straight routing into the studio wow, okay. uh, and then they are using team viewer to remote control uh, myriad and control the faders <laughs> digital faders into the what we have an analog desk so we're not a fully digital environment and so they've been yeah why call hot micing we're just connecting their personal microphone up at home via ipdtl which is a web-based platform so it seems to be you're either ipdtl or your clean feed in terms of that and they seem very much similar platforms i've, I've used a bit of Cleanfeed, feed and more of our presenters have been using skype or zoom or Cleanfeed to conduct interviews yeah uh, i don't think we've had any live interviews we could do it if we wanted you need a lot more pro- producers help to make sure all the technicals are right whereas doing pre-recorded interviews via zoom i on a regular on a weekly basis i'm doing interviews on zoom and actually as we were saying off air uh, we're actually using this as an opportunity to look at multi-platform because zoom has the built in ability to record video and nearly everyone's got a webcam now and in fact i've even gone out and purchased a better webcam so i can do it we're even be looking at uh, where we can possibly cut bits of video out then use as promos to the interviews it, it's been really interesting in terms of innovation and it will be really interesting to see how much of that new practice we keep at end live but also how the sector keeps that but it's worth saying not every community radio station has completely fully shut down some have done a 50-50 mix so some presenters where they can have been doing it from home but then there have been some community stations that have stayed completely from studio and just had to work out how you do that in the most safe way so every presenter having their own mic foam that they use or pop shield multiple studios so no presenter going in and out of the same studio at the same time so using studio A then studio B so that the other people have got time to then go in and deep clean things so you're not necessarily having lots of people coming into contact passing contact uh, and a lot of stations now are looking at that whilst they look at returning back into the studios. So it's a very mixed approach across the sector but what's great is that the whole sector has risen to the challenge it's worth noting all done by 20 20 20,000 plus volunteers it's a volunteer-based and a volunteer-led sector and these are people who are going above and beyond way going above and beyond their normal going into a studio to do their show to doing it from home and having to take on extra measures or even being willing during lockdown because if they are reporting or engaging with COVID they're they're key workers so they they should be going in or the ability to go in And, and so doing all of that and still wanting to serve their local community with local broadcasting I think is phenomenal.
1: No it is. And just just as a counter to that, Marlowe FM has been broadcasting live from the studio but in hybrid format. So drive are being done remotely, but all of our other shows are Studio One or Studio Two. In between we have pre-records. So I can see how many radio stations are doing it very differently. Cool. I want to move on to one of your other hats. And one of those hats is that you are the founder and chair of the Community Radio Awards, which are about to be opened. And also it's in its fifth year. First of all, tell me when it's going to be opened and what's different about it this year. And then I'd like to understand why you came up with the whole concept.
0: The Community Radio Awards 2020, uh, sponsored by Playout One, another uh, software that equally has been supporting stations with their remote uh, web-based platform. We open on the 19th of June for entries, and we're open for about six weeks, which is our normal period. It is worth noting that we're about two months behind where we are normally. I'll be honest, because I was putting a lot of time and energy into getting in live, all fully remote, and having to deal with working from home myself. But also, we were trying to see what the COVID situation would look like and we did consult with community radio station managers to say look what do you want us to do with the awards will presenters still be able to get access to the logs will they still be able to put awards together and actually we, we positive response from managers saying no absolutely and in fact some managers have said look they're actively encouraging presenters to look to the awards as a bit of a I don't want to say distraction but a, a, something to focus on if they are sort of wobbling or slightly struggling with the, the presenting from home or feeling a bit sort of itchy wanting to do something they're like we'll start looking at the awards crack on uh, so the awards are opening in, in about a week's time and run for six weeks the awards submission process hasn't changed at all really since last year we've got one new category which is for the general election because we've all completely forgotten but less than six months ago we had a general election but then we decided we were going to have a special award just for the general election i think every year we might have i like as a new award or an award for that year that's relevant to something that's been going on. So, whilst I don't want 100% confirmed now, I suspect next year there'll be an award dedicated to COVID coverage and how stations have done. We decided not to do that this year because we're still in the middle of it we're still dealing with it and the awards process um, hasn't really changed so i think there's now 18 or 19 categories anything from male of the year female of the year young presenter of the year to entertainment to sports to specialist music speech creative arts and, and lots of different categories each category is slightly different in terms of what it looks for most of them are five minute audio entries and then around 500 words give or take there's a few that they're slightly longer entry times or slightly more words it is worth as a bit of a plug it's it's staying as five pound entries i'm pretty sure we're the cheapest radio or audio awards out there or dedicated in the uk sector all the other awards i think are are more now and there are two categories that are also completely free which is station of the year an rsl station of the year which is our category that's open for non ofcom fm licensed uh, community stations so those that are running as rsls restricted licenses are running on digital radio like dab dab plus on the ssdab or even on their regionals or our internet only community stations because they are not normally allowed to enter any of the other categories so we've got a dedicated category for them and, and that's also for free as well and that's the awards process which is mainly what i'm passionate about is the awards process and then like i said we're running behind what we would normally be doing i would suspect that we might then release nominations end of september october time and to preempt your next question with the hopes that we will have some form of awards ceremony and celebration event towards the end of the year is all i'm being drawn at the moment we are really really hoping to have one even if we have to do some sort of socially distance awards ceremony but i'm passionate that we will try and do our best endeavors to make something happen a physical awards process but that will be in the autumn so we could be looking at sort of end of october november december possibly possibly even hooking over into early uh, 2021 which would be ironic having the 2020 awards you know in january but it, it does all depend on social distance measures when venues are reopening but I think if nothing else the sector deserves uh, an opportunity to celebrate what will have been a really struggling year. Uh, Okay who are the judges
1: this year same as last year or have you changed it around?
0: Every year we have new judges and we welcome new people judging and I'm always keen to grow the number of judges we have so I think last year we had something like 70 70 maybe 80 judges last year so we have some judges that come back every year because our judges are volunteers it's it's hard to ask too much from them and as the number of entries increase we obviously need more volunteers otherwise we're going to be asking too much from them as volunteers our judges are drawn from the community radio sector Uh, particularly anyone who wins gold is invited to judge the following year in that category and they're not allowed to enter that year because we we very much didn't want the same stations winning the same awards every year so we invite them to judge the following year and sort of sit a a year out from entering that category they can enter other categories and, and be involved in other entries in other categories so people from the community radio sector and we always do our best I would guarantee it that no judge judges their own material and they're asked if they encounter any entries that are from their station or from people that they're involved with to let us know we make sure that other judges judge those entries. Every entry is judged by at least three people at its minimum stage. And we tend to find as we go through because some categories because the number of entries go through multiple stages of judging, so more judges listen to them. So when we get to things like the final entries of station of the year, I think last year, something like 10 separate judges would listened to every single entry. So some, some entries have more judges listening to it than others, and that's purely based on the number of entries and the, the level of depth we go to. So that's community judges, but we also have people from the BBC, people from commercial radio, people from the wider audio industry we have people who have sort of left so x any one of those sectors academics uh, who are involved in in teaching broadcasting or involved in broadcasting and then we invite other community people in particularly for other categories but only if they really have a sort of an understanding Uh, and little things like podcast of the year and that's actually open to any not-for-profit organization that runs a podcast so that's not explicitly for community stations that could be for different charities that are running podcasts and last year we invited people from charity comms which is a an organization that supports different charities with their media marketing communications more like an industry kind of body and they run their own podcast and we actually invited those people to come on as as guest judges and um, so it's those kind of thing we try and have an, a very round balance and every year like i said the number of judges grow and we're always really interested and really open to people coming on board i'd rather have more people judging from lots of different backgrounds so it has uh, a variety of, of different ears listening to it but also hopefully giving feedback because we do ask, not all judges do, but we ask all our judges to provide constructive feedback to the entries, which are then given out a month or so after the whole awards process is done so that people know how they can better themselves. For me, one of the fundamentals for the awards is about sharing best practice and developing the sector and also celebrating what the sector does for individuals, for those involved, but also for the local community. So having a wide amount of judges and those judges providing feedback really helps add to that uh, because I really h- help, hope that it's a developmental tool for community radio stations to analyse themselves. What do they do? What Certainly encouraging them to celebrate what they do. I mean, for the station of the year, they have to produce a PDF, almost what I would call like an annual report to celebrate. And I And I have actively written blogs in the past and encourage stations to use the awards or use what they produce for their best station entry if they don't do an annual report they send to key advertisers to stakeholders to volunteers to trustees if they don't do that kind of thing then they should use their entry into the community radio awards if if nothing else and send that to local MPs and the mayor because it's the awards should hopefully focus the station because we're so used to delivering every day great community outreach that how often do people take the opportunity to step back look at what you do and go what we do good stuff and that's what a part of what i wanted the awards to do but also encourage volunteers to consider what they do and encourage stations to celebrate what their their volunteers do hopefully it's about growth and development of the sector and it's about championing and celebrating everything that the sector and everyone involved in it does
1: brilliant i I look forward to entering i was very lucky to um get an award last year myself so i was very chuffed now moving swiftly on you were talking before we came on air about uh, a third hat you are wearing which is a new role that you're starting to form called the uk community radio network what is that and and what can people do to get involved
0: the UK Community Radio Network, There's several of us involved, it came out of managers coming together at the beginning of lockdown. So just as lockdown was happening, uh, I posted into a couple of the Facebook groups that exist to say, hey guys, do we fancy doing for managers? Do we fancy doing a regular Zoom? I was possibly faced with a prospect before we knew we'd be working from home moment our full lockdown, the prospect of possibly working alone in an office, not seeing all the volunteers coming and going. And I thought, I think I need some support and I'm no doubt there'll be other managers in that situation and it did turned out there was and so for three odd months we've been doing weekly zoom meetings our average attendance is sort of different is about 20 different station managers and every week there's new people that come in and some people come in and and obviously go away for a couple of weeks and then come back but these are uh, weekly zoom meetings and off the back through those meetings and off the back of those meetings there was a real big sense that The the UK Ofcom licensed community radio sector needs a stronger voice, needs more representation with government, with key stakeholders to really raise the agenda of the support that's needed for community radio Uh, and off the back of that group that's where the uk community radio network has sort of formed we're in the process of forming there's a there's a sort of a membership form out at the moment there's no membership fee at this point Uh, and we're only concentrating on a few things at the moment once lockdown's over once we've we've hopefully achieved some things we'll look at what the future of this group possibly looks like uh, with representation with government it's almost akin a lot of people are calling for an equivalent of the radio center so the radio center represents all commercial radio interests and something like 98 percent of commercial radio stations um, are part of the radio center the radio center is sort of the commercial radio's voice into government and into big agencies and big stakeholders and there was a real sense that isn't necessarily being delivered for Ofcom license stations in the UK for the sector. So we wanted something to happen that was on behalf of everyone. And through that, we've run a couple of social media campaigns. We had a, a radio from home campaign back when lockdown first happened, just to sort of really raise a profile to say that community radio is still going and is strong and is, is doing what it can do to support local community. And then I think about a month ago, we had our... Uh, hashtag ready from home, hashtag support community radio, where we were really trying to shout to the government that we needed support. We needed some funding. We needed access to their support. And we had hundreds of stations all tweeting at the same time. We trended in the top 10 on Twitter using those hashtags. And there was also a video put together that I think had 40 or 50 community radio stations that had submitted bits to that video. And it was all the Beatles, all we need for love. And we encouraged all stations to play that song at at the same time to really sort of say, hey, we're all here. We're all local, we're all passionate about a local community, but we wanted to make some big noise, and we certainly did. And then a few weeks after that, following that campaign, we led on an open letter to uh, the Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, DCMS, Oliver Downson, and to John Whittingdale, who's the Minister of, I think it's Radio and Data or something like that, or Ra- Radio and Digital or something. That was calling on the government to be paying community radio stations, not-for-profit community radio stations, for playing the public service announcements, PSAs or government ads. So you may hear if you listen to commercial radio, all sorts of different ads from, don't be a space invader on the highways agency, to tax, check your tax allowance or check your tax statements. But more importantly during COVID, the wash your hands initially, then the stay at home. And now that's moved on to sort of the track and trace kind of adverts. And it's worth saying that from the beginning, we engaged with Public Health England and we provided and opened up encourage community stations to initially play those PSAs because we thought it was the right thing to do, the wash your hands, the stay at home uh, and then a few weeks into that we found out that commercial radio was then being paid to play those campaigns and we were massively incensed by this, by the fact that for years commercial radio as a sector receives millions of pounds, we don't know the exact number we've not managed to find out, we need to put a Freedom of Information request in to find this kind of stuff off, out, but the commercial radio sector has received millions of pounds to play these adverts and can community radio receives nothing to do this. And there are multiple campaigns running. I mean, there's even Ofcom, which is the regulator. I've even heard advertising campaigns on commercial radio talking about how to make sure you get the best internet connection at home. You know, talking about wireless and making sure you're near to the router. And those are being funded by the DCMS marketing budget. And yet none of that has been offered up to community radio. So uh, there was a real sense of unfairness and injustice on that. So we did this letter writing campaign. I think it was something like 133 licensed stations signing. So nearly half the sector, around half the sector, signed this letter. And to date, we've still not had full engagement with the government on it. And it's our main campaign at the moment, really. We're trying to raise the profile of community radio, particularly trying to aim for some national PR. And we're about to start doing some more engagement with, if the... DCMS select committee with the shadow cabinet and with various MPs and encouraging stations to engage with their MPs. Now, if you're a local listener and you write to your MP, your MP writes to the government, they get this almost standard copy and paste letter. The government says that they really value the contribution that community radio has given through the COVID crisis, but then there's no funding. They, they aim us towards what's called the Ofcom community radio fund, but they won't even engage on the, the PSA campaign. So that's our big push at the moment. And it's more about equivalence. We we don't necessarily expect to receive the same kind of money that the, the Hearts and the LBCs or the Smooths or the, the Bauer Group. We don't necessarily expect to receive the same amount of money from them, but we should be receiving some money because we are providing a public service. This isn't handout. This should really speak the language of the government. We're not looking for money for nothing. We're looking for money for playing their adverts. But more importantly for community radio with PSAs is so many community radio stations also have specialist niche audiences that just won't get those messages. So it could be communities of interest interest it could be youth stations lgbt stations it could be asian stations or polish or all sorts of ethnicity religions but also if you're listening to community radio you might not be listening to your local commercial or your national commercial because there isn't really local commercial radio anyway so you're not going to be hearing these messages so that's that's what we're trying to do at the moment on top of everything else that i'm doing as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> now uh, how can anyone get involved where would they go is there a slack group or do they have to email you directly or is it invite only I
0: Hopefully nearly every community radio station has had an email from me or from somebody involved in the UK community radio network because uh, we have been trying to email everyone. Uh, UKCRN.radio, so it's one of the, the new .radio web websites, UKCRN.radio. We have also launched UKcommunity.radio, uh, which is a news platform for us to be sharing good news of community radio. And we're encouraging community radio stations to submit their own news articles on there because we wanted one platform to really do all this good news, sharing best Practice or people are welcome to get in contact with me separately. My personal email is martin at martinsteers.co.uk if they want to talk about anything to do with community radio. But at the moment, we're focusing on Ofcom licensed community radio stations. So hopefully, they will have heard of us already. And if not, people are more than welcome to get involved uh, with us. And we're really interested to hear what they've been up to. They can join our voice. There's a lot of unity and strength. uh, And I firmly believe in people working together to support develop and better represent the the sector
1: congratulations so now we're taking a quick breather from the three hats you've got i just wanted to find out a bit more about you martin so how long have you been involved in community radio uh, and radio itself and i know one of your other passions is scout radio so what have you been doing before you were doing Live?
0: Lots of radio stuff. I'm one of these really interesting people that that only on reflection do I realise I was a radio anorak. I never really embraced the full radio anorak. Never as a teenager, sort of made my own demo mixtapes. It never really crossed my mind. But on reflection... Somewhere at home in a box, I've still got the full page spread of when my local commercial radio station launched locally in my hometown. And I I made sure I went to every single outside broadcast and I listened every day. I listened all the time and I rang them. And you reflect back and go, you're a radio owner, you're a geek. You just never really realized it. And it wasn't until I returned back to university as a mature student, there wasn't a student radio station. I I remember trying to join, somebody was trying to start one. I remember trying to join it and it never happened on campus. So I, I think I'd always had an interest in radio in that sense. And and my brother was was just getting into commercial radio when I was going to university because he didn't. He went through that sort of practical route. And then it took a couple of years out and then returned to university and did communication studies at Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge. And there isn't a dedicated Anglia Ruskin student station. There was a joint radio station between Cambridge and Anglia Ruskin. And it actually ran on what's called low-powered AM or or LPAM as a full-time student station. And I got involved in that even before I started my degree over the summer I'd emailed them to say hey I know I want to get involved in you guys before I've even started which is very unusual I I knew I wanted to and got involved in them and actually that was where my journey into community radio started because we decided as a station that actually we could serve a academic community of Cambridge Cambridge obviously a university town two universities I think combined staff students alumni of 30 40 I think back then, it's probably more now. So a good chunk of the of the town, or the city even. And they had previously tried to apply in the round one and hadn't got it. And, and we were looking at, do we apply again? And actually I was the first ever non Cambridge university student to become the manager of what was CUR 1350 Cambridge university's radio 1350, which was our AM frequency. And I applied for the community radio license and it was over 10 years ago that we applied on one. So I, that was my step into community radio had never really been involved in community radio before had been involved in student radio and I wrote a license application and back then it was something like a, I think it was like 45 page document because you had to include so much now I think it's a lot more lightweight application process because you had to really go into lot of detail about what you were going to do and why you were going to do it and how you were going to do it and and what Management platform, what staffing structure, volunteer structure, what finance structure, what technical stuff. So that was my first genre into community radio. I then moved around a bit, various personal, moving with family or moving, you know, with partners and stuff, and then worked for Diverse FM in Luton. I think in uh, 2011, 2012 time I'm loose track of it, but I've always been passionate about just working in, in radio. so worked in there for a bit as the, as the, the project manager of the radio station, and then ended up spinning out and doing all sorts of different bits, ended up working in a bit in commercial radio for Eagle radio in Surrey, doing their community and education department. I was one of the lead guys in there um, looking at funding applications for doing community radio projects or community media projects in commercial radio and that was working for ukrd which truly believe in community or did before bauer took them over and he's dismantling them for want of a better word truly believed in in local radio uh, so we're doing it very much for the right reasons and then off the back of that i spent many years teaching radio and Anglo- gone back to teach uh, radio at Anglo ruskin university and also working in schools doing schools radio and i had a company called schools radio network doing radio projects in schools and encouraging uh, a new generation of people to love radio which is really interesting when you go to radio conferences and they go young people don't listen to radio and i go no but they do because actually with you mentioned about scout radio over 10 years ago i launched scout radio and scout radio was the official national radio team broadcast for the scout association uh, so we're talking uh, Scouts and Woggles and badges and camping. It's, and it's not the Boy Scouts. It's been co-educational boys and girls for decades. And what Scout Radio was set up to do was to provide short-term FM licenses at the big camps they have normally in the summer so, we're not having any this year. They've all been cancelled, unfortunately. What are called jamborees. And actually, the biggest one that I've been involved with in is Essex Jamboree, which is over 10,000 people for eight wow. days camping in a field, completely green fields. Only the last couple of years, we got a portable studio. And by portable studio, it's an old caravan that we converted, which looks great. But before that, we used to have to say to the jamboree, right, well, we need, you know, a couple of porter cabins and some tents or marquee space. And we were literally building a radio studio in a green, in a in a comp, complete environment alien environment all over the country we've done locally to you a Berkshire's Jamboree which should have happened this year 2009 was my first ever fm rsl and that was off of the back of that the scout radio was formed which was wings fm in windsor Jamboree which is the Jamboree for the local scouting so a little bit of a local connection there really <laughs> but i come from Bedfordshire at that time so we travel all over the country running fm radio stations but also running internet radio stations at smaller county camps just for a weekend and this is normally quite often to entertain and inform people what's going on at the event, but also particularly at the weekend events, we, we turn the studio over completely to young people to come and have a go at being radio presenters. And I tell you this, they love it. They absolutely love it. They queue out the door, to have an opportunity to have a 10 15 minute slot talking about what they get up to in scouting and guiding, but also playing music and doing shout outs and dedications yeah, and all that. And kind all of those stuff. Great Abs- things. No, absolutely. But they love it. So to say young people aren't interested in radio is utter rubbish because they are really interested. And then since lockdown, because face to face scouting was suspended, we've actually been broadcasting regularly and we're now doing weekly, one day a week or one evening a week broadcasting as Scout Radio. And it's called Scout Cast. And we've got a couple of other shows that we've done and it's all about doing badge work via the medium of radio so talking young people encouraging them to listen via smart speakers or via our website uh, because we're only online um, and encouraging them to do badge work talking them through what's involved but we've also had interviews with some really inspirational people or interviews with people from the scouting association talking about what's going on so we've been running that as well And and that was just over 10 years ago and that's completely voluntary completely voluntary running scout radio absolutely love it i mean I'm a radio person through and through. So even as a hobby I do radio <laughs> and as professionally I do radio and in the last few years I've done some freelancing work for the BBC. So hospital radio is the only bit of radio I haven't done. I don't have the time yet, but maybe as a retirement thing in a few decades' time. I might retire into hospital radio because it's the only bit of radio I've never done. And I'm and sure Northampton's got a big
1: I'm sure Northampton's got a big hospital there. So it must be an opportunity. <laughs> now let's Fast forward a bit. There's a couple of topics I really want to talk to you now. I've got you on here. One of the first topics is what I call the, the death of local radio. Bauer are uh, aggregating lots of radio stations they acquired last year. I think the number that we're looking at is around 250, 260 presenters are going to be made redundant in September. What are your thoughts on what they're doing there?
0: Um- i'm really mixed because one of the groups that was bought last i think it was february time was ukrd so bauer bought up basically what, what wasn't owned by global radio bauer effectively bought and interestingly i'm sure i saw something from bauer they reckon they're actually going to be the largest commercial network which will be really interesting because obviously global's global went was it two years ago two three years ago global went fully regional i mean obviously yeah. over the last 10 15 years they've been slowly buying up everything then the massive rebrand to heart and to the capital and we all knew eventually it would become regional networked radio we just didn't know when and then through lobbying through things like the radio center there was the deregulation of radio so I'm torn because my experience of working for UKLD they are passionate about local, the, the ukrd stations which round your way was eagle or mix 96 or some of the bigger stations like pirate passionately local no networking no hubbing all local presenters all talking about local areas so i think it's a real shame for those to go and in some of those communities some of those radio stations going there is no other alternative local radio for them so it's an absolute shame to see that happening i can understand to a certain extent why because it's about business it's about national brands it's about ofcom having done research that says people don't care where their radio comes from which i think is utterly bonkers and really surprising considering we're both sat here with community radio hats on and we've got a thriving audience that are passionate about us because we are Our local and when Hart did this i think it was two years ago there were petitions there were changed to orgs there were parliamentary debates all because the local presenters all been stripped away and the audiences were up in arms about it what's interesting is there hasn't been a massive drop in audience because i think the power of personality radio is still quite strong for those brands you know the jamie thigston amanda holden breakfast and all that kind of stuff and i also think that because these were legacy heritage brands that it was the the radio freak the radio station that people grew up with that people didn't really realize there is an alternative and there is an alternative in nearly every area there are 296 licensed and broadcasting community radio stations with i think something like 50 still wait licensed but ready to launch right. and in fact i know of at least five that are which were waiting to launch were it not for covid and lockdown so we are nearly over 300 licensed and broadcasting stations and that's very likely happened this year over 300 more there will be more community radio stations broadcasting on fm licensed on fm uh, or am then there will be commercial radio stations and so there is an alternative as we know there is an alternative that's wanted that's needed that's valued and that has an audience base we may not have the massive audiences that the big commercial groups can say they have we may not necessarily have that kind of mass national spread but i don't think we should worry about that i think this is the new local community radio is the new local radio and you see more and more Uh, local uh, community radio stations not necessarily calling themselves community radio stations they're just calling themselves whatever they are radio and just really going hard on this concept of local because I think What's really interesting over the last 10, 15 years of society, we had this massive boom on the internet where everyone thought of themselves as global citizens and they disconnected with their local. And then I would say in the last three to five years, we've seen a contraction of that and we've seen the birth of hyperlocal newspapers, the birth of hyperlocal news blogs and websites and and Facebook groups. Whereas before you thought you were a citizen of your town, now people are working much more at street and borough and uh, neighborhood level. And we've seen that more with COVID than ever. L- little individual support groups coming up. People for the first time in generations, knocking on neighbors' doors to find out if they're okay or what can they do to support the neighbors. And that resonates so well with local community community radio community based radio so it is an opportunity it's a golden possible golden age of two tiers but not in a minor major sense but two tiers in the sense of local radio which is going to be delivered through community practitioners and a national level or quasi national level uh, radio because let's be honest three hours from your regional hub for global and then the rest of it coming from london i mean that that's not local radio and any pretense in trying to call that local i think it treats an audience as if they're idiots and does them a disservice and I, I have had some people say well why don't they want a national license why don't they just go can we not just have a national heart license like radio one or radio two or a classic fm or something like that And call me a cynic, but I think it's because both Bauer and Global want their cake and they want to eat it. They want to be able to have local ads. So they want to have the local frequencies and that loyalty to the local heritage. But they want to be able to deliver that in a national brand with national voices and national infrastructure, uh, which let's be honest is mainly about cost saving. And as business people, if you were owning a radio station, as an actual share owner, a share that you physically owned a radio station. You are in your best interest to do what you can to make the most of that investment or make the most of the opportunity. I, to me though, the real big shame is the UKRD, the group and those stations, particularly like Eagle. I'm really surprised. So pirate is staying pirate. I think there's three stations that are staying in their local brand. They will be doing some networking, but I think the local brand is staying. And I think it's for the barrel stations. And I think it's um, pirate. I think it's pulse and signal or something like that. I can't remember them all but there's I think it's something like 48 stations are losing their local identity and all going branded and I'm really surprised they've done that with the bigger UKRD stations like Eagle Radio because they were profitable stations and had a massive strength of audience and loyalty, and some really established names uh, that have been there since the launch of those stations. So, I, th- I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the future of the sector looks like in a few years' time with this hyper local level. Um, and even more, I know you want to talk about SSDAB because that will show even more local stations and then these quasi regional or even national. I mean, it'd be really interesting. To preempt talking about a digital migration, is what does that look like in terms of digital well, migration? Well, we might as well
1: talk about it. You've mentioned absolutely. It twice. <laughs> so saving saves me asking you your question. What, what what's your thoughts on DAB and DAB Plus then?
0: So, uh, kicking off that from digital migration, obviously there was this big talk about. Uh, closing FM which isn't going to happen or uh, roadmap to digital there were big plans to switch off FM um, and that's now been put on hold because it, it was a previous government it was their sort of agenda it's not really happening um, at, at the moment but it will be interesting now that digital listening is now over 50% I think it's something like 60% digital listening of linear radio every week is done via a digital device so that's DAB that's internet that's digital TV and a few other different ways uh, and DAB from Memory is something like 40% of that entire stat uh, and the largest of all those digitals. So it will be interesting to see, maybe in a new government or in a few years' time, whether there will be this push to migrate the big commercial stations who are now quasi regional to migrate them to digital only. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in that instance and what other opportunities that will open up in terms of FM, if nothing else, for community and hyperlocal radio. Because FM isn't dead and isn't dying. I- I've heard rumours that off are inundated more than ever with requests to launch FM radio stations. Through a lot of this, I've been talking about Ofcom license, and that's a clear distinction because there are internet-only community radio stations up and down the country. I'm in the process of launching one for where I actually call home, which is Bedford, Bedford Radio. I'm in the process of doing that. And Ofcom in the past have said FM's not going to be there, for. it's not going to be an option or it won't be for years. You need to think about SSDAB but from what i understand from ofcom they've seen overwhelming support they honestly thought that no one had interest in fm and that's not proved correctly so it'd be interesting to see what happens with that for ssdab i think this is great i think this should have happened six seven eight years ago the trials there so there was 10 trials that were launched yeah <sighs> Eight years ago, something like that. I can't think when there were tr- trial licenses. So, for those that don't know, small scale uh, DAB or SSDAB is supposed to cover towns or parts of cities, and it's supposed to be the community radio equivalent of digital radio. So, it's just supposed to cover smaller communities because uh, at the moment, digital radio DAB is either national, there are two national uh, setups, or what, what is called local, but again, I refer to it as regional or county, because it normally is. It's county-based, or in some areas, it's even a couple of counties together to be a regional-based things. So, for example, Hearts, Beds and Bucks, where I am, is one I think I'm pretty sure it's one multiplex or one sit, set of multiplex. Like, uh, uh, and the point of DAB is you can have multiple stations on it, anywhere between sort of 10, 15 to 20 plus stations on it. So it's a different kind of technology. It's been around since the 80s in the UK. It's been a long time getting any listeners. And SSDAB was supposed to be really the platform to enable community stations to access digital radio because of this digital roadmap, this digital future that we've been talking about. Because if you're a community station, does your station really want to cover the whole of your county and the cost involved in covering the whole of your county or actually do you really only want to cover your 5 10 15 mile radius of the area you live these trials were set up using different kinds of technology different kinds of setup to trial the technology and there were 10 areas and they were supposed to run for nine months supposed to be a limited nine month trial and i'm pretty sure i'm trying to think how long ago it was launched it, it's got to be what five six years ago these trials launched and in fact i think the nearest one to you guys i think is woking or or in that kind of barrier. Uh, uh,
1: I, I, I think we've got one between Wickham Sound and ourselves that we, we're trialling as well.
0: And uh, so it can't have come soon enough And it still hasn't launched. Ofcom has announced that uh, the beginning of September, they'll start offering applications for phase one licensing. I think it's a great opportunity. I think the issue we have with COVID, because I've spoken to a few station managers, and to be fair, they were fully for SSDAB six months ago and local DAB. Now they're concentrating on, is their station even going to exist in three months' time, let alone six months' time? Because we are now all worrying about grants. We're worrying about donations. We're worrying about loss in events income, loss in advertising income we're worried about can our presenters even safely get into the studio so uh, unfortunately whilst it should have happened by now it's almost as if now we need more time to give us an opportunity for the sector to rebuild itself not long to come together and then work that out and my worry is even then when Ofcom do start licensing it's going to take too long so traditionally Ofcom has taken four or five years to run a licensing up and down the country I'm reassured that they're going to try and get SSDAB done in two years to do the whole country and then they'll give it another go. They're, they're supposed to open one area for I think it's three months, then close it, then open the next area then close it. And I think they're going to do most of the country, then they're going to have a short review period before they do the rest of the country. I'm not convinced because Ofcom are under-resourced, don't have enough resources to do what they do now. And that's before they get hundreds and hundreds of applications. So with DAB, you apply to run a multiplex. So this platform you can have... 15 10 15 20 stations on but you also you need to have a service license and ofcom has said that when they're opening up the multiplex licensing they're also at that point going to invite people to apply for service licenses so you are going to see hundreds if not thousands of people applying for licenses and if ofcom genuinely honestly believe they can do the whole country in a couple of years well, somebody's got my tenner. I will give someone a tenner now if someone's willing to take that bet to say no they won't. Right. And so I'm worried with Bedford, for example, if SSDB is the only option for Bedford Radio or for Northampton. I want EnLive to be on digital radio. Because I still get I get people asking me, Oh, I've got a digital radio. How do I pick up NLive? And you go, ah, oh, you, you can't, you need to switch it to FM or you need to listen to it online. So I want it for, for Northampton. And I honestly think it's going to be a couple of years before we get there. With DAB Plus which is, is it's an upgraded bit of technology, really. It's better quality. You can put more DAB plus stations on a multiplex than you can DAB because it's a superior technology. Initially, in the consultation Ofcom offered up, they were going to force SSDAB licenses to be DAB plus only. And I thought, and I lobbied um, to say, no, that should be optional. DAB plus is great. I think DAB plus gives, and actually of the trials, I think most of the trials, the majority of the stations on the trials are running DAB plus. It was announced this week that talk radio and talk sport two, And I think maybe the original, the main talk sport, I think as well are about to flip to DAB plus. Uh, and in fact i think talk radio and i think talk sport 2 have already flipped to dab plus and i think talk sport 2 talk sport the main talk sport is running on both um, so the, the, that's where the industry is going and i think all the heart decade stations and the heart special stations are all dab plus my concern with being dab plus only is no one can tell me how many dab plus radios have been sold in the last 10 years or whatever it is no one knows no one knows or nobody knows how many Sets out there are not upgradable to DAB+. Now, we know from the DAB road roadmap that people don't just buy a new. It's not like buying a new TV. You don't buy a new radio every two years because suddenly it's it's a bigger radio or it's got more colour or more definition or it's got more surround sound. Radio doesn't do that. People buy radios. They sit on top of their fridge. They don't buy a new one until that one gets so much grime on it that it dies or the, the batteries die on it or the power runs out or whatever people very rarely replace their radios or cars you don't go and deliberately upgrade your car to get a better car radio you get a radio in your car and radio a car is still the, one of the main forms of people listening to radio on their commute yep it absolutely is although and, we're not commuting so much no and and this is going to be really interesting because whilst i spoke earlier about how uh, online listenership has increased for community radio, and it's also been reported that online listenership has increased with commercial and BBC. No one has actually wanted to ask the uncomfortable question to say, Well, hang on, does that mean listenership has increased? Or actually, all those people that would normally listen on FM in their cars, actually, they're just listening online via their smart speakers and apps. And I don't want to be asked, because <laughs> come on, let's be honest, that's what it is. This isn't a significant increase in audience. I mean, I, uh, hopefully my boss won't hear it because that's what I told her. Like, oh, we've gotten more listeners. It's not. I think people are moving on to internet, so it'd be interesting to see what they do moving back uh, and what that looks like going forward. But cars is still traditionally the main way that people listen to radio. And how often do you get a new car? Every five years, Ten three years? to five
1: years, exactly. exactly.
0: Um, and again, no one knows how many DAB car radios are out there or how many cars are out there that, that can't pick up DAB+. The example that I give, launching Bedford Radio as an example, in Bedford, my old landlady had a Pure radio. So brand of radio, Pure is, is sort of top end digital radio, good quality, they're not cheap. And she couldn't pick up DAB plus on it. And... I've got an undergraduate degree in communication studies. My degree that I started before that, but didn't complete was in it. I've grown up around computers. I'm quite tech savvy and I've now got a master's in journalism. And I say that to say, I'd like to think I'm quite an intelligent person. It took me 20 minutes, three attempts, and various different manuals to upgrade her Pure Radio so it could do DAB+. Plus. And I had to connect it via a USB cable. I had to go to the Pure website. I had to try and find the serial number and download a cert do download an update. And I had to then update the radio, doing different combinations of buttons. I then had to put a separate access code into the radio to then unlock the DAB Plus chip because it was there. It just hadn't been turned on. And that took me 20 minutes, and I'd like to think I'm an intelligent person. There's no way in hell that my 60 something odd landlady would have even attempted it. So that's my worry with DAB+, that it may alienate some audiences. We know that community radio has a big listenership of older generations. There are even some dedicated older generation radio stations out there. How many of those older generations have access to DAB+, how many even know the difference? We've spent decades trying to educate people in terms of DAB radio and analog radio now we've got to try and educate them into DAB plus as well so I think DAB plus is great I think it's part of the future I think it's a great opportunity but I'm glad that Ofcom has said that you don't have to launch a MUX with DAB plus and that's a decision that the MUX operator and the stations coming on that MUX can, can still decide and it'll be interesting to see what that looks like sorry okay. I went off on one there but it was no something no I'm passionate about well, I
1: hadn't noticed. Um, <laughs> one of the things, I did a survey on the Facebook community radio site and what was most interesting, it's, it's an area that I'm passionate about, which is uh, smart speakers, Alexas and Google Homes. Mm. And a lot more people are getting their radio access through those devices than they are through traditional standalone radio devices. My current car has got a, an Alexa built into it. Oh, now, wow. So my point being, where does DAB Plus fit? I'm sure that a clever developer can design a DAB Plus receiver to work on an Alexa skill because that seems to be where the growth in penetration of radio is coming from
0: well i think it's all about physical digital platforms a dab chip or a dab plus is a physical bit of uh, of chip i think what we are more likely to see is f- smart activated radios so uh, a device that has an Alexa built in in fact they may i think there are a couple out there already existing in fact i think sonos i think is one of the ones that have been experimenting with it i think what you're likely to see is a, a radio that has fm that has dab dab plus but also has smart speaker a smart interface built into it, whether that's Alexa, whether that's Google Home, whether that's uh, Apple or some, or, or, or their own other version of smart integration. What's really interesting, though, with smart speakers is as far as what Amazon are doing, doing really well, trying to encourage other people to use it. Because like you said, it's highly likely your next car will have Alexa built into it. Well, Amazon haven't built your car. What they're doing is offering up their platform. Absolutely. Because a bit like Google has, you go on to the days where you tell people to search it on the internet, you just say to, say to people, Google it we would have grown up as people in using it knowing that, that even 10 years ago there was what a dozen different search engines that people would use regularly now it's all about google it's all about google in your life and doing everything google maps google calendars google email uh, and that's what i think amazon are doing with with alexa they're they're almost offering it up as a platform to because they want people to have that integration smart speakers is very interesting uh, uh, and it's very similar to, to what i call the bubble effect of, of say podcasting is that if you've got a smart speaker and you think they're great you think everyone's got these and that's how everyone is using them um what's really interesting is what the numbers so the latest Rajar, which is the the audience surveys for the radio and audio industry is saying that only 32 percent of people um Claim to own what well, they call a voice activated speaker. I tend to call it sort of the smart speakers. And, and and 20% of them, 18% of them use it to listen to radio every day. Now, don't get me wrong, we've got three in our household here, and I use them to listen to radio. I also have a, a, a traditional radio that's also got internet in it, so I use that as well. And so I am a convert. I do listen to smart speakers. But equally, I've got somebody who is 10 years younger than me, a very good friend of mine through Scout Radio, and actually she 's unplugged the smart speaker in the house because she doesn 't like it. She finds it. there are some people um, that that don 't like the technology because they feel it's too it 's integrating too much into their lives and it 's almost as an intrusion so I do like I said it I think there was a bit of a bubble effect because i've had i've had lots of people like you saying, well surely everyone's listening on smart speakers or podcasting going well." Oh, who listens to who listens to the radio doesn't everyone just listen to podcasts now And you go no actually only i think it's something like 15 or 20 percent of the uk population listen to podcasts but if you listen to podcasts and you get and you get into that environment that becomes your bubble and you you other people that do it and then you assume everyone does it so actually it's really interesting in terms of smart speaker ownership don't get me wrong it will be a part of our lives. I think smart speakers or smart integrated technology will be a big part of our lives. I remember when Alexa launched, not long after that, they were saying the, the most requested service was listening to radio. So I think it is really powerful because I think everyone was panicked when these things came out that we would see them as a vehicle of radio death, a bit like we saw curated music platforms like Spotify and I can't think Pandora. And you'd go to all these radio conferences and everyone's panicking that that spotify pandora etc will be the death of radio and it hasn't because there's a reason people keep coming back to radio and it's about personality it's about voice it's about that connection if you're interested in music it's about that person that can tell you about the music instead of just play you that music exactly you're interested in local news information traffic travel what's happening in your local community so people will always come back don't get me wrong i think smart speakers uh, have a great part to play and will be there in the future but I, I think you've got this massive innovator bubble. I can't think what they call it in consumer trends where you get the trendsetters and then you get the followers. And I do wonder at what point do we get to plateau of ownership? Because if, if, if they reckon according to Rajar that only 32% claim they own an activated speakers and these things have been around three or four years, I think we might get to 40, 50% ownership and then it will plateau. Because actually how many people yeah. want them? I'm not sure I agree. In fact, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take you back to an earlier I wasn't point. offering you a tenner for that one, though.
1: <laughs> Shame. I was about to take that one. Uh, now, look, one of the things you talked about earlier, and I'm going to bring that back into the conversation, was the use of Zoom and it using video within the studio. And you begin to see, look, if you look at LBC, they broadcast across Facebook at the same time. You look at uh, Radio 1, Radio 2. At Marlow FM, we've been experimenting with Zoom and Zoom video. Now, with the the Echo 5, which I've just got right behind my laptop here, that's got a screen and smart speakers, so it's, a, it's an integrated element. One of the things that when I talk about radio, uh, difference between podcasting and radio is it's live and it's interactive, which podcasting can't be by its very nature because it's pre-recorded. And I think that when we start to look forward, I think what you'll start to see is cleverest studios begin to say actually what we will broadcast the video feed out of the studio because now we've been doing it and we can broadcast that to an echo five device or we can broadcast that to our facebook page or we can broadcast that if it's a business one to linkedin and we can use zoom because it has a multi-broadcast out to youtube as well and suddenly radio isn't just a medium of coming out of the radio that's one static device, as you called it, on top of the fridge. But it is actually the radio being brought across multiple devices because it's the uniqueness of the live, the interactive. It's the format.
0: It's, It's the way it
1: works. And that's where I think we're going. And I don't think people have caught on to that because actually when you start to look at advertisers and you start to think about them, you've now
0: got a medium that actually is a physical and visual medium at the same time. I'm obviously because we're not visualizing this. Uh, they can't see me grinning because actually you've just <laughs> brought up another p- topic that I'm passionate about. In fact, I'd actually pitched to do a PhD on this exact topic, which is the visualization of radio, particularly the history and the future visualization of radio, because actually this is nothing new. Visualisation in radio has been going on for decades. From I, I've n- not found the actual full details of it, but apparently the original Chris Evans Virgin Breakfast show was also uh, broadcast on a TV channel at the time. Or you may remember Chris Moyles' world record attempt when he stayed on air for 50-something odd hours, whatever it was, hmm. and they red buttoned the whole thing, and it blew the stats for red button off the charts. It, it was the most watched. And this was just people just watching what would effectively just be a, like a webcam kind of environment and and in the 90s every radio station had a live webcam so visualization in the radio isn't new It's just very innovative. And actually, what you would say about the radio industry is I would say we are the most innovative media platform ever. We are always innovating. We're always trying to find more ways of engaging with, growing our audience, uh, and finding ways of getting our content out there. And this is a massive passion thing for me because I do think this is one area where I think community based and local stations do suffer because it's about the right people with the right technology or the right budgets and the right platforms. And you can clearly see that when the Global rebooted all their studios, I think. About three years ago, the heart, the smooth, the classic, the LBC, they were all rebuilt with visualization in mind, it, even to the point that each brand in Leicester Square where, where Global's based, each brand has at least one, if not two dedicated studios and then I think there's something like over a dozen generic studios and I, a year ago went in and one of the engineers showed me one of these generic studios, and at the touch of three buttons they can suddenly change all the lighting in the room to be brand lighting. All the TV screens change to that brand and all the lighting in the room. So you can at a touch of two buttons. You can convert a studio from LBC to capital to heart at a touch of a couple of buttons so they can go in there and they can do stuff. The only thing they couldn't do, which i think was really fascinating was the mic cubes so the mic muffs with the logos on and i said oh what about them and then he went over and he pushed like a panel on the side of the wall and this massive drawer came out and there was a set of mic muffs for every single branded radio station uh, that comes out yeah. of that and you've got all the all the decades and all the heart extra and all that kind of stuff and they said no that's the only thing we haven't managed to solve but we're trying we've even tried with green screen muffs so muffs <laughs> that are mic microphones that are green yep. and then using technological overlay but we couldn't get it to work yet and i was like blown away that this is all about visualization even to the point of view that so many of the consoles in the studio were hidden out of view so they were hung into the ceiling or dropped into the desk so that they're not in view and if you look at some of the stuff that lbc is doing and the, the heart are doing there are completely open sight lines gone are the days where if you look at some community stations or even local bbcs you've got monitors all over in front of the presenters you've got big mic booms mic arms all over the place and all of that is really clean in the global studios and it looked really interesting and you you can tell that they are really getting that visualization and it's about and this is what i was looking at my phd in was 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 challenging the concept of asking the question how does radio as a medium audio and radio as a medium break through in an ever-increasing visual space social media Facebook, it all prioritises video. YouTube, it's all about the visual more than the audio than ever. So many times you're watching content on your phone whilst you're wandering about, commuting, and you're watching, you're reading subtitles, or you've got headphones in, or or whatever. It's all about that that experience of visualisation. And you're right, LBC. In fact, if you read James O'Brien's book from a couple of years ago, they talk about that they try and find what they call one viral moment in every show that they can clip as a two or three minute video and put out on their social media because they know it will generate a conversation. It will generate an audience and it will generate some great numbers on that content. Well, you have to be careful, though, and it's something that James Cridlin, who would be a great person to speak to in this sense, because he's... No, he's on a, my
1: festival last week. I did a it, massive podcast festival.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, radio futurologist, as he calls himself. he He's one of the people that have been talking about visualisation of the radio, because... Radio is radio and you have to make sure that you concentrate on the radio element and don't get too caught up in the visualization. Otherwise, as, as he would put it, you end up with crap radio and crap TV. If you try and make it TV, it won't be. And Radio One tried that and they visualized the uh, the chart show for a couple of years. And it really didn't quite work because it went too much down that TV route and away from that radio route. But I do think visualization in radio is really interesting. And I think it can be achieved very easily. I've seen radio studios literally just use an iPad connected what's really hard is the music licensing hasn't caught up with the technology if you try and do a facebook live now from your station's account including the music you'll get banned you'll get your, your stream will get suspended because the licensing hasn't yet caught up which is a real shame now there are some ways around that and there are some other platforms that are coming forward and in fact mixcloud i think about a month or two ago actually mixcloud launched their own uh, streaming video streaming platform exactly to cater to to djs radio stations presenters who are broadcasting from home and want to be able to do that uh, and there are some radio stations that, that are doing that really really well in, uh, insanity radio in royal holloway which is a stu- uh, university student youth community station based at a student union university and in fact don't quote me that they won gold but they i think they got nominated in the community radio awards a couple of years ago for their technology in doing that spark fm have done that as well and in fact if you speak to those stations well and this is what i love about the community radio sector is if you speak to those stations quite often they're very happy to share the technology and also share how you can do it on a budget and i think that's really key because you can go to people like broadcast bionics or broadcast radio in fact broadcast radio just launched their their system or who they're partnering with last week or broadcast Bionics, like I said, and you can pay them thousands or tens of thousands of pounds and they'll have auto switching cameras, the ability to be able to edit on the fly and publish to social media platforms or even do live. But there are ways of doing this with a couple of webcams or a couple of iPads and some open source software like OBS as ways of doing it. But I think you have to really make sure as a broadcaster, what are you doing actually you need to think about what's the outcome is it like a zoom call is it you're interviewing the mayor or the mp and you want to record that because you can like lbc lbc don't always stream everything they do 24 hours a day seven days a week they know when they've got the big guests in so keir starmer coming in a couple of days ago that was live streamed they have their presenters permanently being recorded to get those viral moments or those guest moments Radio 4, very interesting. They used to do it on the Today Show, but they're actually pulling that kit out. They're actually moving away from doing that because Radio 4 were getting those viral moments with their half past seven or half eight mm-hmm. interviews, whatever it was. or yeah, no the 10 eight o'clock on. one. They with their big the big minister or whatever. They yeah. would normally cut that out and put that up on social, but they're actually pulling away from that. So any station thinking about visualization, great, you should be thinking about it, but you need to think about what are you trying to achieve? Because if literally you're going to go back to the days of the, the 90s where oh, we just going to have a camera on permanently, that's not radio. And that's, I would argue is really bad TV and really bad visualization. So you have to make sure you do it with a purpose and you think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you have to make sure that you don't lose track of the fact you're radio. Cause if all you're doing is talking about the funny faces you're pulling on the, on the stream to the, say the hundred people watching it on Facebook live, you're going to be putting off the thousands of people who are listening at home on the radio who can't see what you're doing. So you have to make sure you do it right. But I think visualization radio, like I said at the beginning of this, has been around for a while and is continuing always to innovate. And I think that's great. But what I should say to radio stations actually is take a leaf out of the podcaster book because I think podcasters are actually the place that's innovating in this first. Because the way that monetization works in podcast, it's quite hard, if not impossible to monetize (coughs) podcasting effectively. So many podcasters I know actually run it as a, a YouTube channel with cameras and then they podcast the show so they're using it as a visualization platform because they know they can go on facebook live and they can do their 20 minute or half an hour podcast episode as a facebook live or a youtube or, or or put it up there and i know a couple of people that do that where it is a podcast format so it's not a big fancy tv studio because actually people like that voyeuristic al- aspect. Effectively, what we're doing now, we could be live streaming the conversation we've got now. For the listeners that can't see, we've both got broadcast microphones and headphones, and I've got the picture of... My, I've got the background of my bedroom, and <laughs> you've got your office. But we could uh, live stream... it, easy,
1: yeah. Well,
0: or green screen it, or well, particularly with things like Zoom it makes it so easy to do that. But people are happy to watch podcasting on a, as a video format, and then pick it up as an audio artifact, as a podcast. So I do think... I do think the radio industry could be learning a lot from the innovation that's happening in the podcasting sector because they, they've taken that innovative spirit that lives in radio and they'll run with it as podcasters because they're not having to deal with, live, with a live linear environment. So they've got a little bit more time to work out what they're trying to do. But I do think visualization has is, is still got ways to grow and I, and I think always will. And I, but I think it's about doing it for the right reasons and knowing what you're trying to do before you work out how you're going to do it.
1: I think talking of the visualization Joe Rogan show, which does it on YouTube, does it very well because it's literally watching him with a guest, but it looks slightly amateurish, but they've got three cameras running at the same time. So it is a big production that Joe Rogan has to visualize it on YouTube when he says it's just me and a mic and my guest. It's not quite true
0: but it doesn't have to be much to do it. Either you need a dedicated person to do the switching or you need, or you can find software. And this is actually what uh, Insanity FM did. They actually wrote or they, cobbled a bit some technology together they had mic channels on the desk a traditional radio environment of mic one mic two mic three and they said right that camera there is mic one when it gets to a certain volume level switch to that camera or if all the volume levels are balanced or there is no volume level in a tv environment you call the wide shot which is everyone so if in doubt go to the wide so there's a way of doing it so it's auto switching and in fact bbc oxford Uh, where I used to freelance, they had it set up I think in their studio too because their breakfast show was for a time being broadcast on what would be the local tv channel that's i think it's called that's oxford it doesn't do it anymore and theirs is a completely automated off of the mic channels does auto switching and that kind of stuff so there's ways of doing it i'm speaking to you now and the webcam i've got i think it's a 25 quid or a 50 quid webcam so usb webcam so i think with a dedicated piece of uh, uh, equipment dedicated laptop or, or hardware a couple of webcams the right software you could probably do it for hundreds of pounds and it doesn't need to, to cost a lot but you do need to think about the resource the physical resource but the manpower resource in using that content for the right purpose i'll give you the I'll, most effective way
1: i'll give you a cheap uh, cheap way of doing it there's a the facebook portal those do voice tracking so uh, as the voice changes in the room it will rotate to the person
0: and that's what's really interesting is Facebook, I think about three or four years ago, we're talking about launching an audio platform through Facebook and it hasn't happened. And I don't know what happened to it. It went very quiet. I think they were trying to see if they could dabble in the radio sector, but probably got undone when it came to music licensing. Cause like I said, I think music licensing is what's holding visualization back because nearly everyone wants to do it via Facebook because we've experimented with scout radio. We've experimented between uh, Facebook lives youtube lives and facebook is where people are because it's a live social because it's because if you follow that page you suddenly get all these notifications to say oh so and so channels live and in Mm -hmm. fact it's a little bit of a cheeky plug all the way back to community radio awards next saturday in fact we are doing a a facebook live uh, for the community radio awards to sort of launch the opening of the awards and do A, Q&A. a bit like we have earlier a bit of q a Q&A. so i'm going to be experimenting with some of that software and in fact we're looking at using a complete browser-based platform where you send multiple links out to different co- uh, collaborators or, or contributors and the whole thing is switched the whole thing is managed via web platform so it's not even software based it's not obs i think it's ob.live is the platform we're looking at and i've not experimented before other than the fact i know matt deegan used it recently when he did a whole uh session on rajars Mm. and that but that's web platforms who'd have thought six months ago a year ago that would be talking about doing visualization on radio using chrome using just web platforms so the technology is definitely there and there are ways of doing it like you said really cheaply really innovatively Uh, and like i said it's it's what i was looking at doing a phd in. so i i'm passionate about visualization on radio but more importantly answering that question of how does radio or audio stay relevant in ever-increasing visual space
1: martin i could talk to you all afternoon there's so much more we could talk about i mean the, the whole subject of radio licenses and where is prs and ppl and why isn't that done is just a whole topic in itself absolutely um, but i think we've been going for a little while i think we should give everyone a break now martin thank you so much for your time now before you go let's do a couple of quick plugs first of all community radio awards where can they get a hold of you on that one
0: Uh, So that's communityradioawards.org.uk or I think we've got hello at communityradioawards.org.uk or just search us out on the Facebook and the Twitters and stuff. Just a reminder that that is open for Ofcom licensed community radio stations uh, and that opens on the 19th of June and then closes on the 31st of July. And that's the awards process, the awards ceremony later on uh, at some point this year.
1: And the other one was the UK Community Network that you formed
0: So the UK Community Radio Network, absolutely. So that's uh, ukcrn.radio as a website. There's not much on there at the moment or my personal email. If anyone wants to talk about anything to do with community radio or anything we've spoken about, or like you said, can happily chat about these things. It's martin at uk.
1: Martin, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. Take care.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you Sam That show was amazing Don't forget to visit samtalk.technology to discover more great shows See you next week Same time, same place